invite you to take your Bible and let's open it to Psalm 121. Psalm 121. This is our second psalm in our mini-series on Psalms for the Anxious. Psalms for the Anxious. And I've um, titled this psalm, this sermon, Safe Travels. For as you will notice that this is a traveling psalm. And the reason why we're doing this series, uh, Psalms for the Anxious, is because for many of us, this is our daily, uh, weekly, monthly, some of you even yearly battle against your own anxiety. And I think 2020 and 2021 hasn't really made it easier at all. And therefore, we're just pausing our sermon series on Ephesians and we're just looking at um, the Psalms for a little bit for our own encouragement in this time of isolation and social distancing and all these things. So I really pray and hope that this will encourage you. Um, let's read the psalm together and let's pray then after that. So it's a song of ascents. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Let's pray. Father, what a... What a wonderful privilege it is to open your word, to hear you speak to us, and to be able to encourage one another virtually even through these means that you have given us. Father, I pray that you will help us, that as we look to the hills, as we look at our end destination, Lord, that we will look higher than the hills and look to you. Father, please, I pray that we will see you in your attributes this morning that you will be the rock of our hearts, our refuge, that you will teach us the secret of contentment and trust. Lord, as we looked at last week, that we will learn how to be like that weaned child with its mother. Lord, and I pray that this psalm will be a great help to do that and to trust you. So Father, please use me, speak through me by your Holy Spirit and your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the words, be safe, stay safe, has become quite normal in the time we're living in. We mean, when we say that, we hope that you won't get the coronavirus and that you will be careful and that you'll be responsible so that you won't get sick or hurt yourself unnecessarily, right? We say this when somebody's traveling. We say, travel safe. And the meaning is exactly the same. And because there's few things we desperately want and crave and desire as safety, as security. That's why security services, cameras, walls, electric fences, guns, pepper spray, Krav Maga classes, all are in high demand. We need protection. This is a human need, especially in a country like South Africa, unfortunately. And then it's probably unnecessary to even say that being unsafe or aware of all the dangers can cause a lot of anxiety, can cause of a, lot, a lot of stress. When someone at work dies, when someone you love is in a car accident, 
when someone loses their job, etc. Those things start to creep in on our hearts and we start to fear both for others and for ourselves. But our psalm we will be studying this morning is a psalm to remind you that the believer has premium security. Premium security in God their Father. It is meant to lift your eyes above the hills to God Himself and to look to Him for your help. If you look at the title of this psalm, you will notice that it is a song of a sense. A song of a sense. Now from Psalms 120 up until 134, those 15 psalms are in a psalter called the Psalms of a Saint, the Songs of a Saint. Now they were the psalms that the, the Jewish pilgrims would have sung or read or memorized or recited as they were making their way to Jerusalem um, for the three annual feasts. So every time there was an annual feast, these pilgrims, as they were traveling up to the mount, up to the Mount Zion, because remember that's where the temple was, in Jerusalem on Mount Zion was the temple. As these pilgrims were making their way, these are the type of psalms they would have used and sung and recited. And some of them, some of these pilgrims had to come from very, very, very far away. And here the second of the songs of ascent is appropriately a traveling psalm. It's a traveling psalm. Notice verse 1 when it says, I lift up my eyes to the hills, plural, not singular. So this suggests that the pilgrim is still very far away from Mount Zion. He looks up and he sees hills. He just sees mountains. He sees his end destination, Mount Zion, is still very, very far away. Because, and you also get this idea of traveling from verses 3 to verse 8. Notice verse 3 when it says, You will not let your foot be moved. We see later down in the psalm, things like sleeping, sun, moon, going out and coming in. All of this gives us the picture or the, the setting of traveling for many days. So the psalmists look at the, look at the hills at the distance and he realizes that there are still many dangers to face, still many dangers to overcome in this journey towards Jerusalem. There were the dangers of robbers and bandits on the side of the road. There were the dangers of natural elements like the sun, moon, wind, sea, wind, rain, snow. Dangers of your foot slipping, twisting your ankle, falling off a cliff. There were dangers of wild animals and we can go on, right? So this journey is dangerous. Therefore, the psalm, this psalm answers the question, where will my help come from for this journey? From where will I find security? How can I, who can I trust? Who can I look to on this journey, this dangerous and this difficult journey in front of me? And his answer is God. God himself is the motivation to still do this journey. This psalm is the psalm to help you travel. And I think we can use this psalm as a parable for life. It's a psalm of a parable that we can apply to us and say we are all on a journey, right? Believers also have an end destination, but we're not looking to a, a physical temple, a physical location. We are looking to heaven. Hebrews 12 verse 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, 
And for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, our destination is not a place on earth. Our destination is to, how are we going to get safely to heaven? How are we going to go through all suffering and trials and temptations and our sins? And how are we going to make it? Who will be our help in this journey? Paul, remember what Paul said at the end of his life in his last letter he ever wrote, 2 Timothy 4 verse 7, he said, I have fought the good fight. I have what? Finished the race. I have kept the faith. So our whole lives, this is the goal of the believer to finish the race, to keep the faith. This is our struggle. This is our um, fear, the greatest fear of the believer. And we want to reach our heavenly city, which is actually here on earth when Jesus comes again and raises us from the dead. And where shall our help come from? Who will help us through it all? How can we be sure that we are going to make it? Who will give all the spiritual and physical protection and help that we need to finish this race? Psalm 121 says, God will help us. God is our creator. He's our keeper. He is imminent. He is self-sufficient. He is our protector and he is our savior. That God is our help. That God is the one who will help us on this journey. And these are the attributes we are going to study in this psalm. All the attributes I've just listed, that's going to be our outline. We're going to look at six attributes, six attributes from this psalm that a traveler, that a, a pilgrim should rely on his God to help him through his fear and his anxiety on this difficult road to our end destination. But before we dive in, before we start, notice something we need to focus on. Notice how the psalmist deals with his problems. The psalmist doesn't deal with his anxiety, his worry, his stress, or his problems by ignoring them. No, he looks them straight in the eyes. He is realistic about his problems, his difficulties. There is this false way many of many people today, and I would say many, I'm sad to say many Christians today, try to deal with their problems by what we call positive thinking or positive confession, right? It essentially denies reality. So according to this method, when you are sick, you are supposed to say, I'm not sick. I've never felt better in my life. I am strong. I am healthy. I am brave, etc. The doctor has just given them the reality. Their bodies feel the reality, but they deal with the, rea the, the problem by denying reality. They think that our words and our thoughts create reality. So if I just say it enough, if I just think it enough, then eventually the problem will go away and I will create a new reality with my words and my thoughts. Beloved, that is false. Christians do not create truth. The truth creates the Christian. You see, it's the other way around. God's word shapes our thoughts and helps us to interpret reality. So we're not denying reality. We're interpreting reality in the light of ultimate reality. So no, we still lift up our eyes to the hills. We still look around. We still see the things that's going on around us and we acknowledge them. But we deal with them by knowing God, trusting God and obeying God. That's how we deal with our problems. And here's the first attribute we need to cling to, to be able to travel safely on this road, to be 
to make it till the end. God is uh, the creator. God is creator. Notice the, verse, the first two verses. It says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. So again, the psalmist looks to the hills and he says, how will I ever reach that? But then he looks higher than the hills. He lifts his eyes higher than the hills and looks to the Lord, Yahweh, the covenant-keeping, faithful God of Israel. He doesn't look to anything in creation to be his ultimate source. He looks to the Creator himself. Notice that this God is different than the pagan gods, the pagan deities. The people that were living in these times, they believed that gods were localized, right? That is, they were, that, that there are gods over certain domains and certain realms. So there was a God of the hills, or there was a God of the land, or there was a God of the sea, or there was a God of the, the crops or fertility and all these things. And only that God has authority over that little aspect of creation or of the world. But God is not like that, right? God is the creator of the heavens and the earth. He created everything. So the psalmist looks at the hills and says, God made those. God made the earth on which I'm standing right now. God made the sun, the moon, the stars, the wind, rain, seas, animals, demons, and all mankind. He made it all. From that God comes my help. Now, this is an argument from the greater to the lesser. So if God already did the more difficult, greater thing, creating everything, then how much more will he, can we trust him to help us with the easy little thing of helping us on our journey in this world? You see, it's an argument from the greater to the lesser. But what a comfort it is to trust this God. He is not some kind of pathetic, weak, impotent, localized God. No. Who needs permission from us or permission from his creation or permission from the devil to do whatever he wants. No, all things are possible with him. Everything you fear has been made by him. Any, everything you might be fearing in this creation is made by him. It's below him. Who made Jacob Zuma? Who made Cyril Ramaphosa? Who made Joe Biden or Donald Trump or Vladimir Putin? Who made them? Who created these, these people? Who created all nations, all people? God did. Who made the devil? Who made the demons? Who made every living thing that exists? God did. Shall you fear anything in creation if He is your God? No, fear God and then fear nothing else. Fear God and then fear nothing else. So that's the first attribute we need to believe and cling to. That God is our creator. He's almighty. He can do anything. He can help us. So trust Him. Secondly, we see God is our keeper. He will help us. So not only can He help us, but He is our keeper. He will help us. Six times from verses 3 to 8, we see the word keep. Keep. Notice verse 3. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Look at verse 4. Behold, He who keeps Israel. Look at verse 5. The Lord is your keeper. Look at verse 7. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. Look at verse 8. The Lord will keep. Okay, do you, do you get the point of this psalm? This is the point. Keep in the Hebrew is a Hebrew word, shamar. 
It means to take care of something, to guard, to watch over, to pay attention to, to protect. So Adam in the garden was commanded to work and keep the garden. He was to protect. He was to watch over the garden. But he failed miserably, right? <laughs> he failed miserably. When David left the sheep in 1 Samuel 17 verse 20, he left the sheep in the hands of a keeper. You get the idea of what this keep word means. So here the key point is verse 5. This is the key point. The Lord is your keeper. Whether we have guardian angels or not, every believer can be assured that God is their guardian. That God is watching over them. If he uses angels to keep us, he never abdicates or abandons his personal responsibility to guard us and to keep us. Beloved, what a comfort this is to know. God himself is your keeper, your guardian, and watching over you in his love. Now here, let, let me clarify what, what we mean when we say God is our keeper. How is God keeping us? Because a lot of bad things happen to us all the time. So how, what does this mean when we say God is our personal guardian, personal keeper? What does this mean? So let me just clarify this. God's keeping does not mean sparing from all evil and all suffering and all difficulties. So God's keeping does not mean God's sparing of difficulties. Because if that was true, then God never kept anybody. <laughs> he never kept anyone. Because all of us are going, are, are, will experience some form of trouble and difficulty. No, rather it is keeping in the sense that God will not allow your sufferings to harm you ultimately. He will never allow anything to touch you to destroy your faith. He will never allow anything into your life that he doesn't explicitly permits and plans for your good. This is the type of keeping we're talking about. Jude 24, the, one of the greatest benedictions. Now to him who is able to keep you from what? From stumbling, do you see? And to present you blameless before the presence of his glory. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 12, no temptation has overtaken you. That is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. God will keep you. He will not allow anything to, any temptation to be bigger than what you can deal with. That is the keeping we're talking about. No temptation will destroy you. No trial will make a shipwreck of your faith. Jesus' prayer for Peter is instructive in Luke 22, verse 31 to 32. He says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you. No, listen to that. Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Not that Satan won't sift you like wheat. Not that Satan won't do anything in your life. No, but that your faith will not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. That is the keeping of God. Nothing physical will happen to you without his permission. Nothing will happen to you that will rip you out of his hand. Nothing can touch you unless God means it for good. This includes both physical and spiritual things. So listen to me. This is so important to say. When we say God is our keeper, it is utterly impossible for a true believer to ever be lost, to ever go to hell. It is impossible. Listen to one more astounding verse and promise of Jesus. Luke, oh John 
John 6 verse 38 to 39. Jesus says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. What is the will of God? Verse 39. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Jesus says, I'm doing the will of God. What is the will of God? I am going to lose nothing. No one of those whom the Father has given to me. So the only way a believer can be lost is if Jesus sins and stops doing the will of God. The only way a believer can be lost is if God becomes unfaithful. And that is an utter impossibility. He will keep you. Notice in verse 3, God does this individually. It says, He will not let your foot be moved. This is an individual believer that's walking on the road. God is paying attention to every individual Christian. But then he also does this corporately. Look at verse 4. Behold, he who keeps Israel. <laughs> he doesn't just keep sheep. He keeps flocks. Okay? He doesn't just keep one Christian. He keeps churches. He keeps all of us in his love. God Almighty will watch over his sheep and none of them will be lost. So, beloved, rest in this God. God himself is your keeper and God is almighty. You have all you need for this difficult journey and dangerous journey ahead of you. Here's a third attribute we need to cling to and accept. is that God is imminent. God is imminent. Now, this is implied by, the, by God as our keeper, but I want to make it explicit with this attribute. Imminent simply means that God is near, God is close, and God is with us and He is everywhere. God is involved in our lives. He's not removed. He's not far removed where we can't, we can't see us or can't help us. This is actually a very common idea that God is very, 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 very far away and He, he, he just cannot reach down far enough to help us. The classic illustration is the clock, the, the clockmaker who wind, winds up the clock and then lets it spin, and then he leaves it, stands back, and then, and then the clock just slowly winds down. But no, that's false. This text, along with the rest of Scripture, teaches us that God is, although He's utterly and highly transcendent and holy and enthroned in the highest heavens, God is also with us. Notice this in verse 3, when it says, He will not let your, even your foot be moved. If your foot could easily slip on the road with the rocks and the roots and holes in them, and when you're on the on a hill, your foot can slip and you can fall off the cliff. That's quite a scary thing. But the psalmist says, God will even take care of every step I take. Look at verse five as well. It says, The Lord is your keeper, the Lord is your shade on your right hand. God will be your protective shadow wherever you go. Let's turn quickly to Psalm 139, just to read a few verses of this famous psalm of how involved really is God in our lives. How close is He to us? How imminent is He? Listen to Psalm 139. It says, O Lord, You have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. 
If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as day, for darkness is as light with you. This is how close God is. And then think of Jesus' words. Not even one sparrow falls to the earth apart from your father. And fear not, you are worth more than even the hair of your head is numbered. That is good news. Not only is our God almighty and a wonderful keeper, our God is intimately involved in our lives. He's imminent. He's close. He cares. Here's a fourth attribute we need to embrace. And that is that God is self-sufficient. God is self-sufficient. Look at verse 3 to 4. You will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Listen to me. God does not need anything. We need everything. We are created as needy people. We need to sleep Drink, eat, exercise, work for an income. We even marry because we need companionship. We need, it's not good for man to be alone. And we need children for, to have a next generation. We need, we need everything. We are weak, fragile, and needy people. But God is not like us. He doesn't sleep because he doesn't need to. God doesn't depend on anything. God is completely and utterly self-sufficient. That is why if you think, God needs your prayers. God needs your service. God needs your help. It's blasphemy. Listen to Acts 17 verse 24. It's, this is so important. Acts 17 24 says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. Listen to this. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind Life and breath and everything. Don't serve God like this. Don't serve God thinking he needs it. Serving him as though he, he, he's a little God that needs our little efforts on this earth to accomplish something. No. He's not like us. He's not small and dependent like us. Instead, we need everything from him. He gives us breath and life. And, and I love what the verse says. Everything. It's like, okay. That's everything. And listen to this beautiful description by Paul in 1 Timothy 1, 17. He says, to the king of the ages. Think of that. It's not just the king. Kings come and go. Governments rise and falls over hundreds of years. And, but this king is the king of the ages. He was king during Adam and Eve. He was king during Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He was king during David and Solomon. He was king during Jesus' lifetime. And he was, has been king for 2,000 years. And guess what? When you look into eternity future, there will be one king on the throne. He will still be on the throne because he's the king of the ages. And Paul continues and says, To the king of the ages, immortal. He is never tired. He's immortal. He never grows old. He's never weak. He's never frustrated. He's never growing weary for doing good or using his energy. He's not like us. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is eternal. And that's why he's such a wonderful keeper, right? Are you afraid that 
you know, while you sleeping and while you are weak and dependent that something might get you, while something at night might cause you harm and threaten you, God never sleeps. God watches you all the time. He is always your keeper. So God is our almighty creator, our keeper. He's imminent. He's self-sufficient. And here's a fifth attribute we need to know is that God is our protector. This is very similar to, to keeping, but... Um, the psalmist just focuses and zooms in on this aspect in verses 5 to 6. Look at what he says. He says, The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. So here the psalmist is reflecting on all the natural elements that can cause him harm on his journey. The sun, although so glorious that many people worship the sun, can also be very, very dangerous and threatening and is, in fact, a killer. The sun can scorch you to death. The sun can kill you. The same thing with the moon. The moon, although gloriously beautiful with the scattered stars alongside it, can become icy, icy cold, right? So the temperatures of... And I think also here the psalmist thinks of all natural elements. Um, things like wind, rain, hail, snow, lightning, and even animals. There are all these natural elements that, we, we, that, that might cause this psalmist to be fearful. Who is the one who will protect me on this journey from these natural elements? Verse 5b, the Lord is your shade on your right hand. God is like a protective shade, like he protected and guided Israel with the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire throughout the wilderness where there was no water, no food. Think of, think of that. God could lead and provide and protect a nation in a wilderness. <laughs> he can do that for us. So in the same way, God will lead, protect, and guide us. Remember, God is not just the creator of the elements. God has authority over the elements. He's in control of the natural elements. Think of the story of Jonah for a moment. Jonah, we see God in control of nature. God sent the storm. God commanded the fish to swallow Jonah. God commanded the fish to spit out Jonah. God let a tree grow over Jonah. And God sent a worm to kill the tree. <laughs> so you just see God in control in the story of Jonah over natural and the nature. Jesus shows us his deity by his absolute sovereignty over the seas and the wind and demons and sickness. When the disciples were in the boat in the storm, they woke up Jesus and said, Do you not care that we are perishing? But then Jesus calmed the raging sea with the word. With the word. That's the authority that God has over nature, over creation. So here's the point. God is our protector. Because he's not only the creator but because he has authority over everything. He is like a shade on our right hand who will protect us and is with us. Here's the last attribute. The last attribute we need to see is that God is also our savior. God is our savior. Look at verse seven to eight. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. So here, evil is probably mainly thinking of physical dangers, physical evil that might happen to you from robbers or bandits along the side of the roads that, that are just waiting for unsuspecting travelers and to pounce on them, right? 
But here we see God will protect us from even the evil of men, the evil of... And I want to apply it like this. God will protect us in this sense, that he will protect us from the evil intentions of other human beings. He doesn't always spare us from these evil intentions, but he always intends the evil intentions for good. Joseph's story is a great, great reminder. Genesis 50 verse 20. Joseph says to his brothers, As for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. The evil intentions, even of Satan, will be used for our good. Jesus praying for Peter's faith is one example. Satan wanting to sift you. I allowed it, but I prayed for your faith that it will not fail. So Satan has to ask permission by God. Here's another example how Satan, how the evil intentions of Satan was turned for good. 2 Corinthians 12, Paul, the apostle Paul, because of all the visions he had, he says this, um, 2 Corinthians 12 verse 7, So to keep me from becoming conceited, that's proud, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Do you see, so what was, the, what was God's intentions with the messenger of Satan? To humble Paul. But Satan's intention, the messenger's intention, was probably to destroy Paul, to, to, to tempt him and to, to try to draw him away from God. And God's purpose is good. Paul says three times, I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. God didn't spare Paul from the evil intentions of Satan or of people, but he used it for good. He will guard us and keep us from all evil. That is amazing to think about that. Think of one last danger or evil that we all have to face. The last enemy, the last danger. God will even work death itself for our good. Even if the worst thing happens to you, if you die, now death no longer hurts us for Jesus removed the sting of death. Death itself is no longer, no longer has a sting in it. He will raise us from the dead. So that even in death, God will keep you. But when Jesus comes, he will take the, that, that dead body, raise us up with him, raise us up to have a new body and to live forever and ever. Now death cannot hurt us anymore. God has loved you so much, believer, saint, child of God. He loved you that he did not even spare his own son, whom he loved the most. He loves him more than anything, and he gave him up. Then why would he now abandon you in your sufferings? Listen to Romans 8, verse 35, and notice in these verses that God doesn't spare these believers all these trials, all these sufferings, but he does keep them in his love. He uses these enemies to serve us. In Romans 8.35 Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness, not even having clothes, or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, 
we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So here is the greatest argument from the greater to the lesser. If God already did the greatest thing he could for you, paying for your sins with the blood of his own son, pouring out his wrath on his son so that you might be forgiven of all your sins, reconciled to God and be with him for all of eternity. If God already did that, how much more can God do the easier lesser thing of ensuring that nothing will separate you from his love how much more can he not protect you from all evil how much more will he not keep you on this difficult journey towards a celestial city so when verse 7 in our text says the lord will keep you from all evil he will keep your life it's not just thinking of 80 years Keeping your little 80 years on this world, but keeping you for billions and billions of years to come. Eternal life with Him. Beloved, do you know this God? Do you know Him? Is He your God? Do you trust Him? Will you let go this morning of all the things that makes your heart fearful, scared, frightful? Because this is your God. You can trust Him. Beloved, take the psalm. Memorize it. Put it deep in your heart. Memorize it when you are tempted to be scared, when you are tempted to be fearful, when you are tempted to be anxious. Take the psalm and say, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He's our creator. He's our keeper. He's imminent. He's self-sufficient, He's our protector, and He's our Savior. This is our God. So rest in Him through faith in His Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, how often... Did you say to your disciples, Oh, you of little faith, why were you scared? Why were you fearful? Why did you doubt? Lord, how many times perhaps have those words or those thoughts come up in your own heart for us? When we were fearful, when we were doubtful, after we have seen your faithfulness, seen your goodness, seen your grace, your power, your majesty. Lord, we trade in our doubt. We let our doubt go and we turn to you, O God. We look to the hills, we see um, a dangerous road ahead of us. But we can say confidently, Lord, you are our helper. You made everything. There's nothing, Lord, that's too difficult for you. Everything to you is easy. And you are our Savior, Lord. You've paid for our sins. You've done the greatest thing and the most difficult thing already. How much more, Lord, will you not take care of our temporal needs our spiritual needs, and like Paul, to keep the faith and to finish the race set before us. O oh Lord, strengthen us through this psalm. I pray that you will help us and cause us to memorize this psalm and to use it in our anxiety, in our stress, 
to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus as we run the race set before us. We thank you for this time and we give you all the honor and the glory and the praise. In Jesus' name, amen.